Ross McElroy, President and CEO of Fission Uranium Corporation. Fission is a, uh, is a company that has an advanced project, the PLS project in the Canada's Athabasca Basin. We're looking to develop the Triple R deposit uh, on its path forward through eventual production. Ross, good to see you. Welcome to our sunny shores. What are you doing over here? Well, we're over here um, specifically for the one-to-one -one mining uh, conference, uh, which is, um, you know, I think an exciting time for us. We're starting to meet people face-to-face -face again. So, um, you know, the, the travel component is starting to, uh, to occur again. It is. I'm surprised as many Canadians made it over as, as have done. I thought you'd uh, you'd uh, wait till the last minute and decide whether you, we came over here or not. Hey, well, like, I haven't seen you since the end of 2019. It's been a long time. Lots of things have happened since then. You are the new CEO. Yeah. Um, also, lots happening in the market as well. We've had uh, Sput come to the aid of a lot of uranium companies, sort of moving things as far as uh, sucking up all of that mobile inventory. Um, Yellowcake waking up and now ANU uh, leaping in there as well. What do you make of it all? Oh, I think it's it's great. It's exciting. Uh, you know, it's it's long overdue, to be honest. Uh, I think that the, the Sprott Fund um, was really a huge catalyst to the uh, the recent rally that we've been seeing, you know, ever since the early part of the summer. Um, you know, they're they're doing what, what should be done, which is, uh, you know, they're picking up the, the loose inventory at the bottom. But I think the net effect is that it is pushing the price of the commodity upwards we know supply is very limited and uh, you know and this is I think a catalyst to uh, really start moving the, moving the commodity in the right direction I mentioned you said that it's, they're doing what should be done but this is a financial company coming into space and doing well what they do in other other commodities uh, sometimes but why, why do you think it's the job of them and not industry and not the utilities and as we've seen with some uh, uranium producers, um, they're buying up and yeah. uh, mobile infantry too. Well, maybe everybody's sort of responsible for it to you know to a certain degree. The utilities have been in a in a position where they haven't uh, had to buy into long term contracts for for a while, and and I think that this is what's kept the price of the commodity, you know, really quite low. Um, it's, you know, and people understand that there is a, uh, you know, with low prices, you're not going to get the supply that, that is required and, and, and demanded. So what I think it, it's, it's done more than anything, when I say it's what should happen, you're right. Um, some companies have been raising money to, to buy uranium, but, uh, you know, it, it's been inexpensive, we'll say, to, to be able to uh, accumulate some of the, the resource. And uh, I think Sprott have been out there accumulating uh, inexpensive uranium, but with the the end goal is that really there's a you know a lot of supply that's needed to come online, and that's not going to happen until the price of the commodity starts moving northwards. So, you know, just generally speaking, I think it's a it's definitely a positive. Uh, Turn well, can you tell us about what Sprott's thinking? Because they've been involved in a couple of races for you, most recently, sort of in, in, in April, big chunk of change there. How are they looking at this? Because some people looking at that saying, okay, well, wow, Sput, and you're also involved in raising money for uh, you know, your own equities. Is there any symbiosis there, or are they genuinely you know, at arm's length? Well, uh, they're, they're, they are at arm's length. Uh, you know, I mean, Sprott's a, a, a big company with, with different different arms. I do think it's a separate uh, 
run entity. What it really was was the Uranium Participation Corp, uh, the same business that they were in. They took over the management of it and have just changed it into a much more dynamic vehicle. On um, steroids. On steroids. And yeah. so, you know, and really that is, uh, you know, what, what UPC were always doing as well or should have done maybe to a greater degree, but was to buy inexpensive uranium. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think that the Sprott guys are much more aggressive at it. They are much more aggressive. They've got a lot more money available to them. Yeah. And I think it is a focus rather than a, because it was, you know, Denison were running the EPC operation. So yeah. they, you know, maybe distracted. But what do you think that amount of money is doing for utilities, thought process, and decision making process, and timing, more importantly? Well, I think what it does do is provides a little bit of a wake up call to the uh, utilities. I mean, we're seeing the, the volatility in this market because there's not a lot of uh, supply available to, to buy. But the, you know, the price has risen quite rapidly. Um, I think the important aspect is that the utilities will start coming back to be players, and they've really been dormant. Uh, I'd say, you know, since the Fukushima event ten years ago, um, the utilities haven't felt the pressure to to be buying, uh, you know, term contracts at, at any you know price that incentivizes new production. And so, I think that you know, starting to see that the the price is volatile and has upward momentum. I, I, I believe that uh, utilities are going to start coming in probably sooner rather than later and get back into the uh, business of, of contracting uranium at uh, decent prices where mining companies can make money at it. It's interesting times actually because the utilities are probably still smarting from 2010, well, 9, 10, 11 with pricing going on there. Having learned to lessen They've kind of, they're almost like sleepwalking into a situation where it might happen all over again. Yeah, uh, I mean, it could happen. Um, I, 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 but you know, really, they're the important part of the the overall equation. I in, get it. In this you guys can't criticize them, but I can observe. There we go. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let, let's let's talk about the ANU bit. We we briefly mentioned them there, right? Which is um, they're a new entrant, which is Kazatom Prom, part of a, um, a a group have put a fund together to again um, take product from Kazatom Prom. There's deals going on with China. Terms unknown. That's another huge moment in the marketplace. I'd be getting right, very nervous if I was utility right now. And I think that's exactly the situation. I think the utilities will start to get nervous. Um, and what does that nervousness do? It brings them back to the table to start talking to the, the mining companies and start firming up contracts for future production. But, you know, I mean, the price has to be, you know, just globally speaking, it has to be at a certain level in order for, uh, for operations to be incentivized to get into production. But it is probably making the utilities nervous. And, Nervousness uh, in in this case will be a positive on the on the price of the uh, uranium commodity. Talking of nervousness, being a an article released last week by Clearwater River Dean Nations, it got a few people nervous. I think we saw a few drops in share price, including your own off the back of it, because you weren't sure how the market was going to react. Yeah. A few commentators in the market making some observations and arguing but from both sides of that. What's your take on what they wrote? Was it fair enough to do what they did? Uh, yes, from their perspective, I think it, it was fair. Um, you know, I think they're at the position right now that they want to make sure that they're not forgotten about. To me, it was a notice more to the government of Saskatchewan than, than anything to uh, 
you know, let them know it was also a shot to industry as well. And uh, not only advanced projects such as our own and, and next gens, I think were obvious um, targets in, in there, but also uh, exploration companies too. So really it was industry, but I think focused more on the government. But I really think that, um, you know, the, the, they're pro-development. They want to see things happen. They just want to make sure that they're part of the equation going forward. Well, you know that. They're not forgotten. About you know that more than most. CRDN is a group that you know well. You've seen the videos, seen the commentary. So what are they telling you? Uh, I think their message to us is, is very clear. Um, you know, they, they we understand that they're a partner in, in the overall uh, process. And, and, you know, if we're advancing the project forward, they're going to be part of it. They do have traditional uh, rights to, to the area that, that we work in. Um, I think that relationship is strong. We signed a capacity and funding agreement with CRDN back in March of 2021. Uh, that's really setting the foundations for a future relationship as we grow um, uh, on the project. Um, we have frequent discussions with, with them and um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, they're good partners to have in, in the overall process. So I, uh, yeah, really nothing negative uh, from my perspective there. I think they just wanted to stand up and be counted, make sure the government uh, respects their rights and, uh, and, and that industry understands that they're there as well. Do you? You, you understand their needs? You agree with their needs? You've I got do. no problems with that? No. no okay. We have a good, strong working relationship with them. and. Uh, you know, and, and them with us too. And I think that that's uh, pretty apparent. If you look at the video that um, that we posted on our website, of a, a recent conversation I had with Chief Teddy Clark of the CRDN, I think you'll get a pretty good appreciation for, uh, for the relationship that Fission has with CRDN. Okay, and what about the government or the province of Saskatchewan in terms of, look, I think the thing with, um, uh, the Athabasca Basin companies is they, they one of the negatives, you got, you got the grades, it's, you know, you've got the economics. One of the things you suffer from is this perception that permitting will take an inordinate amount of time, years, decades, in, in, in some case, because of what's gone in, in, in the past, right? How do you, or what do you understand from the, the province or, or, or in federal government in terms of the realities of permitting for uranium projects now? What would you say? Um, you know, I, I think the timelines are pretty much understood. Uh, you know, the process we're in right now is called the EA, the Environmental Assessment Phase. Um, it's a precursor to the next major uh, uh, phase of work, which is the EIS, or the Environmental Impact uh, Statement, which is a real review process. Uh, that on itself is uh, probably a two to three year period of, of, of review. So when you take it into account, the EA that we're in now, that's probably two years. The uh, the next phase is two to three years in the EIS. Um, you know, it's, a, it's really about a five-year period in there, and that's dealing with not only the government regulate, regulators, but also the First Nation and other Indigenous groups that... Uh, well, well, given your relationship with um, CRDN, that's got to help, right? That's, that's got to help expedite matters yes. immeasurably, right? But the, do you think that even once you've got all the paperwork in place up until the point a decision needs to be made, that the... Canadian government and the provincial government have got the gumption to make a decision on another uranium 
projects. I look at Saskatchewan as very pro-development. You know, I right. think, you know, if you look at the last 70 years of, uh, of uranium mining, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's been continuous throughout. Projects, uh, you know, have to stand on economic merit, obviously. Um, and in, you know, in this day and age, you equally important is having uh, buy-in from local population and local indigenous groups, the rights holders and stakeholders of the region have a lot of say in, you know, how projects go forward as well. So I think you have to consider both aspects. You've got the government re regulations and, and the timelines that they impose. You've got to have meaningful, respectful uh, conversations and relationships with the indigenous uh, uh, rights holders. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's important for us to be able to work on, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time, deal with both the, the you know, the government side and the, uh, the local indigenous groups as well. Do you think COP26 will have helped you? You saw much Trudeau standing up, he, he loves the podium. So do you think that's going to help you in terms of the change of the narrative that politicians feel they feel freer to talk about nuclear as an energy solution now than perhaps they have done, even as recently as five, you know, five years ago? I, I do. I think it's, a, you know, it's a, we've always recognized nuclear as being clean energy. It is clean energy. It's, it's part of the clean green revolution. Um, so yeah, I think this is just another, another uh, element that really strengthens it. Um, it, people, you know, want to get off some of the dependency of fossil fuels and reduce carbon footprint. Well, nuclear is the, you know, the, the real alternative there. You know, there's others, of course, but I think nuclear plays an extremely important part of that. And uh, having it uh, recognized on the global scene, I think, is a, is a real positive. And I think that, um, you know, further with that, I think that's why the sector is as healthy as it is and has been so in the last year. We've been seeing, you know, true strength and uh, part of the answer to climate change is, you know, reducing our dependency on fossil fuels and where does uh, nuclear power fit in there? You know, it, it is an important part of that. It's like, well, economically, it definitely is. But I, I guess what I'm intrigued by is, and maybe it's a bit early to, to get a feel for it, which is whether that COP26 narrative will embolden a Canadian Prime Minister who's not necessarily pro-mining. I, I, get, I get the Canada as a pro-mining country broadly, but there have been instances and when it comes to nuclear, it's been a bit of a tougher conversation. Will it embolden him? Sure. I think that it does embolden uh, Trudeau to, to go forward. I think what he recognizes is the fact that um, you know, we're part of the, Canada can be a significant player in the clean, green energy. Uh, we're one of the most significant countries as far as a uranium producer. So I think there will be support for uranium mining um, federally. We we'll certainly see it provincially, but I think, on the, you know, at all levels of government, I think that there's great support for the uranium sector. Um, it is a necessary part of the new uh, the new concept for, for energy generation, clean energy generation. So I think it emboldens everybody to be supportive of the nuclear sector. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's let's go from the macro down into the project. You're moving into feasibility study, which just just commenced, right? So and you raised money earlier this year. Have you got enough money to get that through to the end of feasibility study? Yeah. So um, we did. We were uh, fortunate enough to be able to raise uh, in, in three different. Um, uh, different financings. We've raised over $50 million. Um, yeah, I think we're uh, sitting very well. The feasibility study um, for us will probably be about $28 million. Uh, 
So really the money that's in the treasury right now from the raises, that's going to take us through the feasibility work. Basically all the work that we're doing between now and the end of 2022, I think we're very well funded. Uh, you know, good, good, uh, good amount of money to be able to, you know, proceed forward advancing the project. Okay, and to what end? Because if I, if I look at your share registry, it's really heavily about, you know, weighted towards retail, right? A lot. Unusual for a company of your size, 600 million plus uh, market cap, okay? Uh, will you be looking to use that as a mechanism of going to talk to institutions and say, it's about time you got on board? Well, it is, and in fact, you probably noticed, uh, you know, where we were about a year ago, I think we had institutional ownership under 10% of the company. It's presently around 20, uh, you know, a quarter of the company is now um, held by institutional ownership. So we've been working very uh, diligently at increasing institutional ownership. I think this does represent opportunities to have institutions, um, you know, take part in, a, in a, you know, an amazing project like, uh, like our PLS project and be able to invest in Fission. So, you know, it is a conscious effort of ours to be able to, uh, you know, get a little uh, less dependent on the retail market, um, start building the institutional ownership. And I think we've done a very good job. We're up two and a half times on institutional ownership in only 12 months. Yeah, and um, obviously the, the opportunity too with, with this race, but one presumes that you're, you'll, you'll crack on, deliver the feasibility study and look to raise more money at that point mm. uh, to be able to get these these guys in in some meaningful form. Yeah. I assume Sprott will want to be part of that because they, they, they have got a meaningful ownership or certainly interest in your business now. Yes, that's right. You know, Sprott have been a key player, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. Well, they were there when you needed them, right? They when when others when we, weren't. They, they were there when we needed them. We, we had a, a loan with Sprott Lending um, back in, uh, you know, the early yeah. part of 2020. 20, yeah. um, you know, they were uh, the lead uh, lead uh, group in our in our raises too. So now they're a strong, excellent group. You know, they're, they understand the business quite well. They've been long-term supporters of us, you know, as long as I've worked with the company, Sprott's been an important player and uh, I think they continue to be so. So, yeah. you know, and I think they'll be part of our equation going forward. Well, look, that's a nice, sorry, it's nice to catch up with you. I just want to catch up, we haven't spoken in a while. I think the market's done a lot of heavy lifting for a lot of uranium companies. They're now interested to see what you do in terms of this feasibility study. What's the timing on that? When are you expecting that back? So the feasibility, which we kick-started off earlier this year, so in, in uh, July, we actually started the phase one field work on that. We'll complete feasibility, have the report completed, uh, filed by the end of 2022. So another uh, 14 months from now um, will be completed on the feasibility study. Good stuff. Good to see you, Ross. We'll uh, stay in touch and uh, be following you with a keen interest. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Great to speak.